throne room of God and the temple, this throne room that's a temple. And in Revelation chapter 4, he sees the throne. And around the throne is thunder and lightning. And they worship the Lord God Almighty. They worship the Lord Almighty. And that word Almighty means the one that has his hand over everything. It's, it's like Revelation chapter 4 is about the throne of God and about the sovereignty of God and how God is from beginning to end and how God, when all the, all the living creatures, there's four living creatures and there's 24 elders around the throne of God and the, the, the 24 elders are taking their thrones off, their crowns off as they worship Him. And the, and the living creatures are flying around Him and they've got... They've got perfect wisdom and perfect understanding and they've got eyes all over them. They can't get enough of him. And not only is there thunder and lightning and this incredible authority that rests on the throne, it says that there's a... And it's what's also amazing, you, you, he doesn't talk about... He sees, he sees a throne with someone sitting on it, but he, he doesn't describe the person that's sitting on it. He describes colors, Jasper and, and Sardis color because you see God in, 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 in the second commandment says don't make an image of me what imi whatever image you make of me will be too small whatever image will you make of me else you'll start to worship and you'll go off track don't make an image of me I am spirit Jesus is man at the right hand of the father but the God is the spirit and so he sees this color and he sees this emerald this green emerald a rainbow around him, covenantal promises and mercy in conjunction with this awesome authority. It's getting exciting now because this God is for us and not against us. And this is what I love about the, and I love this picture around the throne. It says, and around the throne is a sea-like crystal. And you don't know whether it's a crystal that looks like a sea or whether it's a, whether it's a sea that looks like crystal. Whenever you see sea in the Bible, when the, in Revelation, when it says there will be no more sea, surfers, don't panic. <laughs> it doesn't mean there's going to be no more sea, ocean. There is going to be ocean. Sea in the scriptures talk about a place of torment and unrest. But around the throne, it's like crystal. It's a sea like crystal, absolute perfection without any hint of disturbance, absolutely smooth, perfect peace around the throne of God. This is a God around which there's rolling thunder and lightning, but perfect peace at the same time. Isn't it incredible? And every, every being that comes near him bows down and worships him. See, uh, uh, the, the natural response to a holy God is worship. And it's quite incredible because when we see God being worshipped, they're never singing about themselves. When you've got eyes under your wings and all over your body and you're flying around the throne room of God and you're getting as much of God in you as possible, you're not looking at each other and you're not looking at yourself. You're consumed with Him. And then it moves to Revelation chapter 5. I'm getting so excited about Revelation chapter 4 that I'm missing Revelation chapter 5. Apologies. Apologies. Where's my revelation? It's disappeared. What happened in this place? Man, you guys stole my revelation. Where is it, Joe? 
It's at the end of the Bible, eh? Okay, there we go. Got it back again. It's phenomenal, friends. The 24 elders are not wondering why that guy's got a better crown than me. Or why I've shouldn't, uh, why, ha, why, what about mine? When you're in the presence of God, with all, all authority and all power and all mercy and all covenant blessing that's towards you, you are worshiping Him. That's what brings unity. And the reason why we don't have unity is because we're not seeing Jesus properly. I'm convinced of it. Anyway, if we want to know Jesus and make Him known, we've got to see Jesus clearly. Can you put that first image up, please? The long-haired one. That one. That's the image of Jesus I grew up with. That, friends, is gentle Jesus, meek and mild, from a Western mindset. That is not what Jesus looked like. That was somebody making Jesus in their image. So what did Jesus look like? I'm using this just as an illustration. It's not that important exactly what he looked like, but I'm just using the contrast. You see, the problem is if you grow up looking that Jesus looks like that, you have a picture of how that outworks in your life. But there was a man by the name of uh, Richard Neve in 2001. He was a, a forensic anthropologist. And they found a skull of a typical Galilean man from the time of Jesus. And you know these clever guys, they can reconstruct it and make it look so that you can see what the person looks like. And so this picture I'm about to show you is typically what somebody in Jesus' day would have looked like. It's not what Jesus would have looked like, but like somebody in Jesus' time would have looked like. Let's see this one. That looks way more like Jesus than the first one. When it says that he was not impressive, <laughs> just a normal guy. The problem is, friends, we've got an understanding of what Jesus looked like that is not what the scriptures, not even what he physically looked like, never mind what the, descript, the scriptures provide of what he looks like. Because if we knew Jesus, friends, we'd be worshiping Him. And our prayer life would be through the roof. We wouldn't have to call people to prayer meetings and come on guys, motivate you, you'd be there. The kind of Jesus you see, friends, please understand, the kind of Jesus you see is the kind of Jesus that you will make known. The kind of Jesus you see is the Jesus that you will serve. Let's look at Revelation chapter 5. Thank you. Interesting, eh? Blows you away. You think, sheepers, that's a little bit different to what I grew up in my books. <laughs> Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw at the right hand of him who was sitting on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? 
But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept. He ugly cried. He didn't just weep. He wept and wept. He chunked. <laughs> like, I don't know how to do that. My kids do that. He wept and he wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Translators say, looking as if it's been slain. Um, G.K. Beale in his commentary says, it is a lamb that was slain. The reason why they say as if it was slain, because it's a standing lamb. And a slain lamb is not standing. So this is a lamb that was slain, that is standing. The lamb as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. Encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, the same ones from Revelation 4. He had, be, he had, he had seven horns and seven eyes, which were the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the, and the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Amazing. As he takes the scroll, they just. Authority that Jesus has. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You're worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, you made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. By the way, that reign there, translators say it could be present or, 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 present or future, most likely present. So you will reign on the earth now. This is the Jesus we serve. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to, to receive honor, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. The number of adjectives when it comes to worshiping the, the the, the lamb, are greater than the ones that are worshipping the throne in Revelation chapter 4. There's just more of them. You see, at the middle of the throne stands a lamb. Stands Jesus. Then I heard every creature, every creature, then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. The elders fell down and worshiped. Proskuneo is the word. They fell down flat face first into the ground. There's this beautiful, this, this worship that goes on and the living creatures that are worshiping are just saying, Amen, let it be. Let it be. A little bit earlier on they're saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. They can't just say holy. God's not just a holy God. He's a holy, holy, 
holy God. He is completely distinct, completely other, completely in his own category. Nobody else like him. He is holy. That's what holy means. You see, friends, when Jesus is at the center, we start to live differently. When Jesus is at the center, when we see the Lamb, and when we have a revelation of the Lamb, like these living creatures and these elders did, we start to respond similarly to them and we start to learn from them because that, what they did in heaven has a bearing on what we should be doing on earth. And I want to encourage us with six things. There's probably a whole lot more. And then what I want to do, I'm going to be finished in 15 minutes and I've left 15 more minutes plus five I see from the thing that we're going to worship him. We're going to worship him. So, sheepers. I'm getting excited. I am like the breath here, man. The scroll can't be opened. The scroll, who, an angelic being, a mighty angel gets up and proclaims to all of creation who is worthy to open the scroll. Commentators say, what is the scroll? They've got all sorts of things what the scroll is the old testament scriptures the book of life is it a legal document there's all sorts of things that commentators say i'm a dofo and an engineer the scroll friends is the eschatological plan of god it's the end time plan the plan that comes from beginning to end who is able to unlock the plan of god who is able to initiate the plan of god who is worthy who is worthy to unlock this plan The redemption of God. Who is able to unlock the judging and the redeeming hand of God over all of creation? Who is able? And nobody puts their hand up. And John looks at this and he absolutely weeps. He thinks that's it. The plan of God is thwarted. There is no one. He gave it to Adam and Eve. They messed it up. He gave it to Israel. They messed it up. There's no one. There's no way this thing can come to pass. One of the elders puts his head around and he says, Hey, bud, stop crying. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he's triumphed. You see, friends, when we put Jesus central to everything that we do, the plans, the promises, the purposes of God are outworked. He is the only one that is able to unlock the scroll, the plan. It's the plan of all creation, but it's also the plan or the scroll of your life. And until you find Jesus, and if you don't know Jesus yet, if you've walked away from Jesus and somehow you found your way back into this hall, I want to say to you, Jesus is the only way to unlock your life. It's the only way. He's the only one worthy to unlock your life. He's the only one that's worthy to give his bloody, his body, his bloody, his body and his blood. For your redemption and your salvation and for your purpose. And not only for you, for all of creation. Not just creation of earth, all of the universe creation, multiple thousands of galaxies. He's the only one. We've got to make Jesus central. 
We've got to be reminded, like Chris was saying earlier, Jesus is the front and center. We will follow Jesus, friends. If you will follow Jesus. You see, being a Christian is not just being a believer, it's being a follower. It's not just believing in Jesus, not just intellectually understanding, well, that's who he is. It's actually following him, getting his dust on you, like a, like a student would in, uh, uh, in Jesus' day. I want to walk so closely to him that I find his dust on my feet, is what they would say. You see, when you follow Jesus, you will walk into the plans, the promises, and the purposes of God. But you've got to be following Jesus. You've got to put Jesus central. The second thing, when I look at this text, is you see an unbelievable reversal of power. And this is so, this is so ministered to me. John weeps. One of the elders says to him, but don't weep. Look, look, or, 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 uh, don't, don't weep. The, the, the line of Judah, Judah's triumphed. He hears him say that. Then what he does is he looks to the throne and he sees a, lie, a lamb. He doesn't see a lion, he sees a lamb. He sees the weakest of domesticated animals that was slain, that was dead, that died. The line of Judah triumphed, but he sees a lamb. And I've realized this, friends. You see, when you put Jesus central to everything that we are doing, the power of God is revealed in surrender to him. You see, the reason why we surrender is we voluntarily make ourselves weak so that he can be strong. You see, you see in the kingdom of God, friends, the victory does not come by the roar of a lion. The victory does not come by a big military force that they expected in Jesus' day. It comes by the death of a lamb. The meek will inherit the earth. Those that are live surrendered lives will inherit the earth. Friends, we've got to get, you see, when you put Jesus central, you start to operate in lamb power. You see, the way God decided to, to rescue the world was for a lamb to die. A sacrificial lamb. His name was Jesus. This Jesus was the messianic lamb, or the messianic lion that became a lamb. And it's incredible, this lamb has got, he's got, perfect, he's got seven eyes and seven horns. Perfect wisdom and perfect authority. You see, friends, when we start to live surrendered lives, the way to life is death. There's no way through it. You go through the cross. To get resurrection life. If you want resurrection life, I always say this to me, everybody wants miracles. Everybody wants resurrection life. The problem is you've got to die first. Otherwise you can't have resurrection life. 
Otherwise, it's just wake-up life, or you went to sleep and wake-up life. It's nothing. We want to operate in resurrection life. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead that is in us, life, means you've got to die like the lamb. It means you've got to drop your God and allow God to fight for you. We have an issue with our building at the moment. And we have got big stories with our, with our tenant who is a state-owned enterprise. I tell you what, over the last four or five years, I have been roaring. and my mind, I've blown them up about 300 times. <laughs> I've murdered people. I read this and I think, Stan, just drop your hands, bud. Let the lamb power come in. Let it kick in. We want to be, God's called us to be as bold as lions, but then we need to be as meek as lambs. You don't have one without the other. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The third thing that I see in this text is each of the elders had a harp and golden bowls of incense. Friends, when we, when we put Jesus central to everything, worship and prayer is our natural response. Now these, these, these beings, these four living creatures and the, and the 24 elders are literally worshiping God. Day and night, day and night they are saying, it says, just over and over again, they're just worshiping God. And in this picture, they, they're pictured having bowls of which are the, they say, which are the prayers of the saints. Have you, we've got to remind ourselves again that prayer is not just repeating stuff. When we pray with faith, something happens in heaven, friends. This is not like a fictional thing. God is a real person. Jesus is a real man. And they are seated in the heavenly realms, in a spiritual realm. And when we partner with them, the Holy Spirit is part of that. When we partner with that, and when we pray, and when we declare, and when we agree, something happens. They're catching the prayers. There's this interaction between heaven and earth. When we worship God, you see, worship, friends, is not making up nice things to say about God. Worship is the recognition of who God is. Worship is, you are worthy of all, because He is. Us saying that doesn't make Him, it, He is. He is the Holy One, there's none like Him. Everything, every other being in creation is created. He is the only uncreated one. You see, worship is not only recognizing who He is, but it's actually recognizing what He's done and what He's promised. And reminding God of His promises. And reminding God of what He said. And friends, when we declare this of God, God, you are so good. You are worthy. Worthy of your praise and honor and glory. And all wealth is yours, says of Jesus. It brings God glory, friends. Man, the, the, the enemy wants to shut the prayer life of churches down. 
wants to shut the worship life of churches down. When you worship together, something happens in the heavenlies. It's not just for you. It happens in you as well, but it also happens there. And there's a transaction. Something happens. You see it happening. When we make Jesus central, our natural response is worship and prayer. Praise or worship. I want to say praise because I like the P here. Praise puts persecution, poverty, pain, and pandemics into perspective. Let me say that again. Praise puts persecution, poverty, pain, and pandemics into perspective. And when we put Jesus at the center, when we see the lamb at the throne, standing in the midst of the throne, and we recognize who he is and the authority that he carries, in the midst of all this authority of Revelation 4 stands the lamb. Boom. When we recognize that and we understand that, and that lamb died for you and me so that we could have life, it absolutely is mind-blowing. It puts And we start to worship and praise him and declare who he is and what he's done. And what he wants to do. And we turn his character. Everything you learn about God needs to be turned into worship. That's what worship is. You learn about an attribute of God. You start to learn about, sing about the love of God. You sing about it and you live it out. Because worship is not just singing songs on a Sunday. When Jesus is central, when the Lamb is central, worship and prayer is our natural response. Number four, the living creatures sing a new song. Commentators say this about that word new song. The new song is in relation to the prophetic purposes of God. So it's new in sense of there's a new age dawned. The lamb is standing. Like the lamb wasn't there before, now there's a new song. There's a new thing happening. Other commentators say this, the new song is in relation to the new creation. Christ has inaugurated his kingdom, his coming. They start to sing this new song. You see, friends, when Jesus is central, we start to sing a new song. We start to live in the new beginnings over and over again. We start to live a new creation over and over again. And I believe God wants to give the church a new song. A new song, a song where, again, Jesus is put at the center of the throne, and it's him that gets glory, and it's him that is, gets worshipped. And he wants to give you and I a new song, because in Christ we are new creations. New creations sing new songs. Jesus wants to unlock the scroll of your life. And if you've messed up and you've made bad decisions, there's no bad decision that the lamb can't unlock. The lamb has an ability on behalf of you to undo and redo and put right in partnership with you. You've got to want to do it. And you've got to step with him but God wants to unlock new songs and new lives. Tonight, even as we worship, God's going to do that.
God's going to restore some of you. Some of you think, hey, you know what, I'm here, but I think I might have missed it. You haven't missed it. The lamb is at the center. Your mistake is not big enough to put God off. The lamb is still, you're not going to kill the lamb again. He's got resurrection life now. Can't do it. He's, he's done. You see, friends, when, we, when Jesus is central, we realize we are bought and we are paid for by the Lamb. Man, we've got to believe that again. It's so simple. That's the gospel. Let me move on. Number five, I love what they begin to sing. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. You see, friends, when Jesus is central, we take up our responsibility as kings and priests. Kings and priests. We are called to rule and reign, and there's a whole bunch of teaching about you're a king and you're a reigner and you can do this. Listen, you're not actually a king. You just got, got delegated authority. But God expects us, under His anointing, under His power, to take His word into all the earth. And for that, He needs priestly people and He needs kingly people. People that understand the kingdom and keep people that understand the throne room or the temple. And you and I are all of those all rolled into one. Just like Jesus was in many respects. You see, friends, we are blessed to be a blessing. We don't ever live for ourselves. The lamb never lived for himself. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been slain. When, we have a, when Jesus is central, friends, we understand everything that we get from him is for us and through us. We're meant to be those that are regarded as priests. Priests are those that mediate the blessing of God. Priests are those that are recognized of the, as those that act on behalf of God. Those that w at work and where you work are meant to look at your life and say, Jeepers, bro, it's almost like you and God are like this. What's happening? By the way you work, by the way you operate, by the way you talk, by the way you treat your wife, by the way you treat your employees, your boss, and way, the way you do business. We regard it as kings, but as kings, the way we rule is not the way the world rules. It's the slain, slain life ruling. It's not the domineering ruling. You rule by praying. When you want something to change, we begin to pray first. We rule by worshiping. We want to change the atmosphere of our hearts, start to worship. We want to change the atmosphere of our homes, start to worship. We want to change the atmosphere of our, of our marriages, start to pray and worship. Start to be amongst God's people. They rule by acting in love. They rule by serving. They don't rule by lauding. This is it. So, you've heard this a million. It's so simplest, Simple. You know, friends, I was talking about unity. I just, this came to mind. Talking about unity. Uh, we, I had a men's, meet, a men's group that we were meeting with on a Friday morning. We were talking about some of these things. And I said, yeah, it's, it's unity comes from seeing the throne. And then one of the guys said, yeah, it's like, it's like a tuning fork. Like if you, if you want to tune a piano, 
You use a tuning fork. That's the standard. And the way we find unity is everybody finds the same tuning fork. So you can be a grand piano, a baby grand piano, a honky-tonk useless piano, an electric piano, an uh, acoustic piano. I don't know. I don't know pe pianos. But all of them can be in tune if you get the tuning fork. Get that? That's the idea. That's where unity comes from. I went on to say to the guys, it doesn't matter how fancier piano you are, you always need tuning. And when you look, come from the bluff or you come from Durban, tuning means something different. <laughs> and I want to say to you pianos, you all need a little bit of tuning. You need to be tuned. That's what the gathering of believers is, is when we, when we come together, friends, and we worship and we sit under the Word of God, it's like the tuning fork is resonating. We find our resonance off of Him and we get tuned a little bit and we get tuned a little bit because we need it, because we all go out of tune. If you are, if you are living to your full in the workplace, you're going to be out of tune by the end of the week. And you just need, in God... Just the plumb line comes in on a Sunday or whenever you do your things or even in devotions. You need your, t you need your tuning. Kings and priests. And lastly, I love what it says here. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth talking, worshiping. You see, when Jesus is central friends, we understand this. We have a mission under Him. You know when it says every creature? It doesn't mean some creatures. It doesn't mean believers. It means every creature. So the, the, person, the, the, the animal that is the highest in the food chain in the sea, probably the killer whale, can take the liver out of a great white, just snack on that, leave the rest for the other fish. There's a day coming, friends, when the killer whale, the orca, will somehow recognize this king and bring glory to him. Every creature. Every creature. The man that has blasphemed God and hated God all his life, at some point in the future, will bend his knee and bring glory to him, praise him. The problem is, friends, for that man, if he's not put his faith in Jesus before that moment, he's going to find judgment in that moment rather than judgment that is in Jesus that we can get now. Friends, we've got a mission. We've got to get people into the kingdom. We've got to walk with God and work with God and partner with God and understand what He's doing and get on mission because there is coming a day when people that we know and love are going to bend their knee and they might not bend their knee now, but they will one day and it could be too late then. And part of us has got to love people enough and love ourselves less and we've got to minister to God and minister to these people. We've got to keep Jesus central to everything that we are doing. And we've got to be like these creatures and these living creatures and these 24 elders that actually when we see him, we just worship him. We end up flat on our faces, faces sometimes. 
And we're just overwhelmed by His goodness, His greatness, His glory, His honor, His just who He is. And that thing naturally begins to infuse in our lives. And we begin to live those kinds of lives. I hope this has been helpful. Father, I ask you now as we worship. I think we've still got some time. Father, I ask you as we worship you. You'd stir us, Lord God. If we step back from you in any way, Lord, I pray the enemy's words would not hold us. That we would step back into your throne room, Lord God. Because there was a lamb that was slain on our behalf. That we could be boldly in your throne room. And confidently be there. Father, I pray, Lord God, where we've gone cold in our love for our neighbor, where we've gone cold in the work of evangelism, even if we're not evangelists, where we've gone cold in the purpose that you've got for us, I pray tonight, Lord God, that we would have an encounter with the Lamb. We'd have an encounter with the throne, with the Lamb in its midst, and that, Father, you would do something in our hearts. You'd give us a revelation of something that would take us further, Lord God. Father, help us to see more clearly, Lord God. That we can make you know. Help us to know you more. Help us to know you more, Lord. That we can make you known more, Lord. In your incredible name. Amen. Bless you. Wonderful. Wasn't that good, eh? Won't you stand, please? As Stan was busy landing there, something that he said reminded me of Scripture in Hebrews 4.16. It tells us that we can approach that throne of grace. It says we can approach it boldly, confident, not confident in who we are, but as Stan has reminded us, confident on Him who is on the throne. And at that point, friends, it says you can receive mercy and find grace to help you in your time of need. And maybe this evening, we're in that camp where we're needing the mercy of God. I would encourage you, off the back of this preach, I believe there's a response that is needed this evening. God is faithful, God is loving, God is kind. If you're needing the mercy of God this evening, come to receive mercy from a faithful father. But not only do we receive mercy, it says we find grace. The empowering grace of God. To be able to take us forward, take us further, take us in. And so let's worship the king this evening ready to receive, hearts open this evening, find mercy, receive mercy, find grace. Let's go for it, Jason.